Um, my name's Drew. I'm one of the pastors here at Providencia, uh, and it's a privilege to share with you a little bit tonight from Mark chapter 1, verses 29 to 39, uh, which says this, As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This ends the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was growing up, there was a common exchange between me and one or both of my parents. It would go something like this. I would ask if I could go someplace to spend the night with a friend, to a party, to go get pizza with friends, whatever. Side note, I know this ages me a little bit, but when I was about 13, there was a pizza place that we had in Oklahoma called CC's Pizza. Did you have CC's Pizza in South Florida? Okay, cool. Um, when, I, when I was 13, when I was 13, CC's had an all-you-can-eat buffet for $3.99, $3.99. Can't even get eggs and hash browns for $3.99 anymore. And there was always a contest between me and my friends when we went out for pizza to try to eat the number of slices equal to your age. So at, at 13, 13 slices of pizza weighed more than I did. So I, I never really succeeded at that challenge, but lots of my friends did. Anyway, when I had this exchange with my parents, the answer was quite often no. No, you can't go to that party. No, you can't sleep over at a friend's. No, you can't go get pizza. But here's what you can do. You can invite as many friends over to our house as you want. We'll order as much pizza as you want. You can stay up as late as you want. And it used to drive me crazy. I didn't want to stay at home. I wanted to go out. But here's the thing. This is one of the parts of my growing up that I am most thankful for. And actually, I was thankful for it even before I fully understood the parental rationale behind it, which I'm starting to understand now as a father of two young kids. My parents wanted to keep an eye on us, sure. But they weren't trying to kill the fun. They would go out of their way to make sure that we could have fun at our house, no friend was unwelcome. There was no time that we had to shut it down. 
Mom would make a delicious meal, or my dad would order way too many pizzas, or whatever. As much as it was a parenting strategy, it was about fostering a sense that our house was the gathering place. And it worked. My brothers and I all had friends who, at some point in high school, needed a home for a while, and they came to ours. If we ever needed a good meal, we knew to go home, and mom and dad would make it happen one way or the other. If we wanted to watch 10 episodes in a row of Jack Bauer's 24, which we did try to do several times, my dad would queue up the DVDs. Again, I'm aging myself, aren't I? Their house was a gathering place. People were drawn to it, and we as kids were drawn to it. And I'm so thankful for it that we've tried to do the same thing now at our house, Brittany and I. We want our house to be a gathering place. It's why pre-COVID, we often had people over well past 1 a.m. We, we forced Keith to go home. Outlasted Keith a few times. It's why we keep snacks, crackers, cheese, drinks on hand at all times. If you need a place to go, we want you to feel like you can come to our house. Our story from Mark today points us to a gathering place. Now, Keith mentioned last week in his sermon this thing that happens in Mark's gospel. It's like a sense of urgency. We have this phrase that's repeated over and over in Mark, and immediately this, and immediately that. We don't always catch it in English. It's not always translated for us in our English Bibles, but it's there. And it's here three times in our passage, at the beginning of verse 29 and again in verse 30. And immediately as they left the synagogue. And immediately they told Jesus about Simon's mother-in-law. And immediately. And we can feel the urgency in this passage we can even feel it in the fact that in the space of 10 verses, we've got three stories from Jesus' life, three miniature episodes. The healing of Simon's mother-in-law, the healing of the many who have gathered in the evening, and then Jesus setting out by himself early in the morning. All in the space of 10 verses. And in the midst of this urgency, there's a play on words that hints at a gathering place. Again, it's a little difficult for us to catch in our English translations. But there's an interesting use of a verb in the middle of this passage. In verse 33, the verse simply reads, The whole city gathered at the door. That verb gathered is built on the same root as the word synagogue. So there is mention of Jesus and the disciples leaving the synagogue in verse 29 and then entering synagogues again throughout Galilee for Jesus to preach at the end of verse 39, at the end of our passage. And right in the middle, the root verb is used of the crowds in the town gathering at the door where Jesus is. Just keep all that in your back pocket for just a minute. A little bit about synagogues. Most scholars agree that the presence and prominence of synagogues dates to the post-exilic period of Israel's history. I won't quiz the PBA students in the room on their Exploring the Bible class, 
But the temple in Jerusalem was first destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BCE. And the subsequent exile that happens after that of the people in and around Jerusalem being taken away from Jerusalem, this means that there were no places to hold the religious activities that would normally have been done in the temple. Think sacrifices especially, but also worship and prayer and gatherings of various kinds. So places known as synagogues started to pop up in and around Jerusalem, as well as in the diaspora areas where Jews had fled or been exiled. Even when the temple was rebuilt by Ezra, Nehemiah, and their contemporaries, synagogues continued to function up to and past the time of Jesus. So in Jesus' time, in the first century, Synagogues were the regular place for Jewish meetings of worship and prayer. Now the word synagogue itself is derived from a Greek word whose root means something like to come together. To come together. And the Hebrew names for synagogues included things like house of assembly, house of prayer, or even house of study. And all these Hebrew names are still used today by different Jewish traditions. These Hebrew names help us to understand that the synagogue was never just a place for worship and prayer. The way we might think of a sanctuary like this. Early synagogues also functioned as schools for children and places to study the Torah for adults. They functioned as venues for community events. They functioned as religious courtrooms and even sometimes as a treasury or a bank. In the first century, though, these were not formal buildings. They weren't purpose-built structures. They were often contained within people's private homes. Someone who had enough space and a large enough single room to host gatherings like this. It became a synagogue. In short, a synagogue is a gathering place. So we shouldn't be surprised to see Jesus seeking out and entering synagogues on a regular basis during his life and ministry. It seems from the Gospels that Jesus is in a synagogue almost all the Sabbaths of his ministry. The synagogues were where the people gathered. So Jesus goes there to proclaim his message. But this verse 33, right in the middle of our passage, points us in the direction of Jesus himself becoming a gathering place. And it uses the same kind of language as is used of synagogues. Jesus is simply at someone's house. He might even still be at Simon and Andrew's, as we learn in verse 29. And the people are bringing to him those who are ill and those who are demon-possessed for healing. And so many people are gathering around the house where Jesus is that Mark says the whole town is there. It's a great use of hyperbole. The whole town gathered at the door. The whole town is synagoguing at the house where Jesus is. At this early stage of Mark's gospel, there's an indication that Jesus himself is becoming the locale for gathering, the locale for gathering to experience healing, to hear authoritative teaching, 
and eventually to receive a revelation from God. In John chapter 12, Jesus predicts His death when He says that when He is lifted up from the earth, He will draw all people to Himself. The cross and death are nowhere near the story at this point in Mark 1. But already Jesus is drawing people to Himself with that compelling, desirous, aching longing that a mere couple of years from this point will see His own executioner drawn to Him at the foot of the cross in a confession of faith. We'll see the criminal crucified next to Him drawn to Him in a confession of faith. Jesus is the center and He is the gathering place. Now this doesn't mean that Jesus is replacing or supplanting the synagogue in Mark chapter 1. This is clearly not the case because Jesus continues His practice of gathering in the synagogues throughout Galilee and everywhere that He travels. We see that even at the end of our, of our passage. But we can see that the crowds in all their fragmented and disparate lives are being pulled together almost magnetically toward Jesus. My good friend Keith Case, who some of you know, that was supposed to be a joke. Somebody laugh? (laughs) All right. Uh, Moving on. Keith... Uh, Keith is not Jesus. I know this may seem obvious, but these days you can't overlook the obvious because someone might quote tweet you out of context or whatever. But Keith, even though he's not Jesus, is a gatherer. And his house is a gathering place. If you haven't experienced this, just wait until we've all got vaccines and someone happens to have a birthday. If I know Keith He's just going to poll the whole community. And whoever's birthday is first, you're getting a party at his house. The first time I experienced the gathering place that is Casa de Case was really soon after my family and I moved to West Palm Beach. We'd only just started to coming, coming to Providencia, and there was no reason whatsoever that Keith should have invited me to this party. I think it was his birthday party, but I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't remember. In any case, I showed up by myself, and I only knew two people. It was Keith, who I had met a few times, and Jordan, who I would met a few times. Now, I'm an outgoing guy, but I don't love the just sort of out of the blue introduce yourself to someone, start a conversation. I'm not very good at that. So when I got to the party, I walked around looking for one of the two people that I knew so that I'd have a wingman to introduce me to a few people. When I finally found Keith jamming along to Ghost Lion or some other house music, he immediately stopped what he was doing and walked me around and introduced me to the people who were at the party. In the course of the next couple of hours, I realized that the people at Keith's party came from all kinds of contexts all over the city. There were people from Providencia, of course, but there were also people from other churches. There were even a couple of pastors from other churches. I'm the son of a pastor. There were never other pastors in my house. So that was weird to me. There were people from PBA, There were people who were connected to the city, even a couple of people who were in city government, 
people who worked at local restaurants and businesses around Keith's house. There were musicians and artists, so many people from so many different walks of life. All there because Keith is a gatherer, and he turned his house into a gathering place. Keith gathers because Jesus gathers. Keith is trying to build with us. He can't do it on his own, and he doesn't want to do it on his own. He's trying to build with us together a church that is also a gathering place. Just like our Savior is a gathering place. But when I think about that party at Keith's house, when I remember it and talk about being a gathering place, it has me aching for the end of this pandemic. I'm glad we're able to meet relatively safely like this and be somewhat present with each other, but I'm aching for the ability to be physically present and physically proximate to be able to touch people again. But in the midst of waiting for the light at the end of this COVID tunnel, I found myself drawn in profound ways to gathering around art, music, writing, movies, TV shows, things we can all kind of have access to and gather around. I found myself drawn to those things that have been made by people who come from a different background and culture than me. I've experienced the compelling nature of diversity. So in honor of Black History Month, I want to celebrate a few examples of this gathering idea from black culture. The joy and beauty of black culture is compelling. And a source of gathering that helps us form an understanding of how Jesus is compelling and a source of gathering. It's in Martin Luther King Jr.'s voice when he prophesies, I have a dream. And you want to be a part of that beloved community. It's in Barack's dreams from his father, and you wonder how that man has the audacity to still hope in a promised land. But you want that kind of hope. It's in Langston's question of a dream deferred. But then it's also in Amanda's inaugural poem, and the dream hasn't exploded yet. It's in Baldwin's fire, and you want to be set ablaze. It's in MJ's crossover jumper at the buzzer to win his sixth ring. And it's also in LeBron's chase you from behind, block off the glass. And we're in awe of the talent and the drive to be great. It's in Tiger's swing and Gabby's floor routine and Florence's sprint. And we're mesmerized at poetry in motion, poetry like Paul Dunbar's caged bird. And suddenly, somehow, we know how to empathize. And it's in Maya's reprisal, and you want to taste the freedom she longs for. The freedom that's behind Harriet's urgency and Fannie Lou's perseverance. It's in Brian Stevenson's grandmother begging us to listen. It's in Willie Jennings' mother telling us to stick our hands in the dirt. 
It's in Christopher Jackson's George Washington, standing at center stage, and you want to sit down with him under that vine and fig tree. It's in Denzel's presence in the middle of the screen. doesn't matter what else is happening, right? It's also in Viola's single tear. It's in Chadwick Boseman, Long Live the King, and you wish you had that crossed arm salute one more time from him. It's my son wants to be Miles Morales. It's in Miles' trumpet, Coltrane's sax, and McCoy's piano. It's in Mahalia's satisfied mind and Aretha's respect. It's in BB's blues, and you can't help but tap your foot and close your eyes and feel the music. It's in the barbecue, just over here at Off the Bone that makes you want to come to the table. It's in the timber of the preacher's voice, like our friend Kevin Jones from Tabernacle Baptist Church. And it's in the gospel choir singing the refrain, the blood of Jesus will never lose its power. And you want to go to church. This is the gathering desire I'm talking about. The church like Jesus here in Mark chapter 1, must be a gathering place. But it cannot be a gathering place just within its own walls. We've seen that strategy fail slowly but surely over the last couple of decades in the American church. People aren't drawn to church buildings the way they once were. We can lament that, wish it wasn't so, But we could also see in the example of Jesus a way of being a gathering place wherever you are. Jesus is a gathering place in Simon and Andrew's house. He's a gathering place on a mountain when He opens His mouth to proclaim, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's a gathering place in the house that is so packed that four friends have to climb onto the roof and dig a hole in order to get their friend down to see Jesus. He's a gathering place back and forth across the Sea of Galilee, gathering Jews to Himself on one side and gathering Gentiles to Himself on the other side. He's a gathering place for more than 5,000 who are hungry to hear His teaching and they're hungry for dinner. And Jesus feeds them on all counts. He's a gathering place for His disciples. And even for the prophets of old in the story of the transfiguration that we're going to look at next week. And He's a gathering place even as He is lifted up to die the death of a criminal. Ultimately, we will only be a gathering place insofar as we embody Jesus. So let's keep striving to be like Jesus. And in the meantime, let's keep pointing people to Jesus. Because He's the one we gather around. Let's pray.